0: Hello and welcome to our brand new podcast, The Climate Clinic, brought to you by the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education. My name is Adesh Zindaraysen, and I'll be your host for this series, Be the Expert. Each week, I'll be joined by distinguished guests to bring you the latest headlines within climate and health research from the leading evidence-based journals around the world. Tune in to learn about the health implications of climate change, how this is affecting us today, and what needs to be done. By the end of it, you'll know all you need to know in order to be the expert. Welcome back for another episode of Be the Expert with myself, Adesh Sindrayson, and Dr. Mark Futanek. Mark, what have we got in store for our listeners today?
1: Hey, Adesh. Today, we are going to be exploring a couple of articles that look at climate change and mental health. Both articles were published in the Lancet Planetary Health Journal. This is such an important topic, highlighted by the COP27 climate meeting in Egypt, which just concluded. I think COP27 elevates the topic, and honestly, it generates a lot of climate anxiety because so many of us feel we're not moving fast enough, and that the agreements coming out of the meeting demonstrate that more clearly. So, the first of the articles we'll be looking at is a global survey titled. Climate Anxiety in Children and Young People and Their Beliefs About Government Responses to Climate Change, A Global Survey. As mentioned, this was published by The Lancet Planetary Health in December of 2021. This was the largest international survey of climate anxiety in kids and youth to date. It was the first study to offer insight into how young people perceive their government's response to climate change and how this perception is linked with their emotional and psychological health.
0: It was a really interesting survey, Mark. The authors surveyed uh, about 10,000 people aged 16 to 25. So they picked 10 different countries to reflect populations um, representing a range of cultures, incomes, climates, climate vulnerabilities, and exposures to differing intensities of climate-related events. And they had 1,000 youths from each of these 10 countries. And the survey domains that they asked um, responses for or from, from the youths were one, climate related worry or the level of worry about climate change 2 climate related functional impact. So this is feelings about climate change that negatively affect the functioning of these children. Third was climate related emotions. So, uh, you know, the presence of 14 positive and negative key emotions about climate change. Uh, next, climate-related thoughts. So the presence of key negative thoughts about climate change. Um, and again, going on to the last domains, experience of being ignored or dismissed when talking about climate change, beliefs about government responses to climate change as well, and the emotional impact of government responses to climate change. Um, so basically looking at the presence and intensity of feelings that relate to reassurance and betrayal for from the governments in these countries. And what were their findings, Mark?
1: So a wide range of negative emotions were found in the majority of kids and young people in this survey. This was found to be worse in the global south and in poorer countries. A good example were the Philippines, where 84% of the respondents were either extremely or very worried about climate change versus... 49% in the UK and just 46% in the USA. Although those are still really significant percentages of our youth who are concerned. In the global north, countries that were hit hardest by climate change expressed more worry. So another example was in Portugal, which has been hit hard by wildfires. They had higher rates of concern. Um, But 75% of the respondents agreed with this statement. The future is frightening. And then as far as the government's role, the vast majority felt that the government was not doing enough. And in fact, the majority felt, and I quote, betrayed by their government on this topic.
0: It's very rare, isn't it, Mark, to get such a skewed result from surveys. I mean, the results are very clear cut here um, in the emotions and the feelings that young people across the world, the global south and north, are feeling towards their governments and political parties in power. I wanted to also add that almost 70% of the 10,000 respondents said no to feeling indifferent about climate change, but over 50% felt powerless. So this is kind of a, a deadly mix. It shows that despite the school strikes and the youth movements and youth engagement, the predominant feeling amongst younger people is a lack of empowerment, you know, the feeling of powerlessness. And that means that our schools, education system, and governments are missing a trick here, because it's really these individuals that want to have a stake in the decision-making process. If for those of our listeners who have come across what's going on in COP 27, uh, children and young people really do need front a front and centre role in this discourse. In COP 27, there actually exists a pavilion dedicated to children and youth. It's called Youngo, or, um, and it's the youth chapter of the FCCCC and they have official recognition now as stakeholders in designing and implementing climate policies. This was just sort of signed off a few days ago. And there's also the Climate Young Negotiation Program, the CNYP, and that's brought over 50 teenagers and young adults into the negotiating rooms at COP27 in order to provide key grants to, to young negotiators from the global south. Um so really, there is some optimism from the youth leaders, and it feels a bit like a tonic amidst the wider context of the summit that's going on at the minute. But that's a separate issue altogether. So I'll, I'll hand over back to you, Mark, to, to summarize this first paper.
1: I mean, the truth is, this is our future. This is literally the future of the population, our future leaders, and this is how they feel about what's going on. So in summary, the take home from this survey was that the impacts of climate change, plus the climate anxiety itself plus inadequate governmental response to climate change are all combining to you know, result in this chronic and widespread mental health impact on the youth around the world. And, and it actually affects the daily functioning of these children based on, on this study. Um, so logically, these impacts are more pronounced in areas that are more significantly impacted already, such as India and the Philippines, but it was you know, really impressive, the widespread global nature of the results.
0: Absolutely, Mark. Let's move on to talk about the second paper now that we're going to feature today. This was an article published in the Lancet Planetary Health, again, uh, in March of 2022 this year. And it was titled Climate Change and Mental Health Research Methods, Gaps and Priorities, a Scoping Review. Mark, tell us a little bit about this paper.
1: So this was, as you said, a scoping review of methodology, which is in a sense a description of the various methodologies used. So this is describing how this topic is being studied rather than the specific results. But for our listeners, we're also going to focus on the study results that they describe um, as they go through the process. So the authors discuss how large data sets are often needed and are being used to detect changes. And that it's necessary because it's very difficult to find these Uh, causalities and associations because climate change is such a slow process and mental health symptoms also develop over time. And so the associations are difficult to prove, Um, particularly for some of the indirect effects. And we'll talk about these direct and indirect effects. And so I'll just explain briefly what we mean. Direct effects are the results of specific things we can measure that are external, such as Heat waves, increased temperature, a disaster that occurs, flooding, things of that nature, direct effects that then have a mental health impact, as opposed to indirect effects, which are the the effects resulting from their concern about climate change, such as their sadness, anxiety, hopelessness, and how that then impacts them. So those are the indirect effects. So acute climate events, such as disasters, have a well-defined area and duration of exposure, But, you know, such as a hurricane. But even for such a well defined event, the timeline for onset and the course of subsequent mental health effects is less clear cut. And so, post Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, for for instance, is an example where we have studies proving the long duration of mental health impacts following these acute events. And so, when it comes to chronic climate change events, so rises in ambient temperature, pollen levels rising, increasing air pollution. The effects on mental health are even more difficult to measure and prove.
0: Those are great points, Mark. And the authors in this study looked at large data sets, as you've rightly said, and these are often needed for statistical significance when we try and detect mental health changes in response to more subtle chronic climate drivers, as you've mentioned. And really the intersection of population-based databases, uh, meteorological or weather data, could enable the investigation of the longitudinal effects of climate change and help us to draw a degree of causality from the relationship between chronic environmental shift and, and our mental health. So in this study, the authors really tried to gather peer-reviewed empirical large-scale studies on climate change and mental health. And they they really posited three questions here. One, what types of large-scale investigations have been conducted already looking at the direct and indirect effects of climate change on mental health? Two, what are the strengths and limitations of the existing research methods that these studies have employed and how have they affected the overall body of knowledge that we have to date? And three, what gaps in the literature inform future investigations of climate change associated mental health effects using large scale data sets. So these are the three questions that they, they really look to answer in their, in their review. Uh, Mark, I'll hand over back to you to tell our listeners a little bit about their findings and conclusions.
1: So Desh, let me start by describing the main categories of the studies that they examined. Um, so first of all, there were studies where they, the researcher simply asked people what they think and how they feel about a topic. And so the earlier study we discussed, the youth survey is an example um, of a survey. The second group were these administrative data sets, such as from a hospital or a health system or a clinic, where you can look at large amounts of data to find a signal. And this would usually be something they can find in their own medical records, such as deaths or hospital admissions or ER visits um, or certain diagnoses. The third are very large public health record data sets. So this could be from a city or even a state or a nation. Um, And often these would be looking at deaths, um, usually death certificates, but they can narrow it down to something like deaths by suicide related to a particular event or maybe the changing of temperature over time. And then they even looked at a new fourth category, which was observing social media expression. So similar to a survey um, where you're really just observing the way people feel about things, but this you can look and see, is there a change in the frequency of certain types of social media posts? based on event or changing conditions.
0: Another finding that they had in this review, Mark, was that most of the studies in of these 56 studies that they narrowed down to were retrospective or observational. And for those of our listeners who will follow this, it, that really limits our ability to make a definitive causal claim about the relationship between climate change and mental health outcomes. Most of the surveys that they came across were, were cross-sectional, which only really captures the immediate mental health effects straight after an extreme weather event most of the previous quantitative studies that they also you know came across relied on surveys that were often directly after these extreme weather events like a hurricane or flooding or a heat wave but you know we actually need additional secondary data that matches to local weather data to obtain a valid causal, causal link between climate change driver and mental health one of the problems which uh, the researchers brought up with the existing body of evidence and the methodology that exists currently, is that the data variables that exist are often scrambled um, for de-identification purposes. But as a result, we lose sort of key time and place variables, um, and we're not able to correlate um, the link between the climate drivers specifically and you know, infer causation there to a mental health outcome. So the authors have mentioned that there is a need for national health survey agencies to increase researcher access to these data variables.
1: So now that we've covered a lot about the methodology, which is really the point of the paper, I do also want to highlight the general findings from these reviews. And so the surveys tended to show increased distress, anxiety, and depression following climate-related events. Some studies showed ongoing effects, although they do diminish over time, but ongoing effects for two to three years following the event. Again, an example would be the Hurricane Katrina. Data set studies showed elevated temperatures leads to more ED visits and more completed suicides. And they even referenced a study from Finland that I found really interesting. Interesting enough that maybe we'll dive into it on a future episode. This study showed that suicide rates Climbing with temperatures over many years until the implementation of a national suicide prevention initiative, which then led to an overall and sustained decrease in suicide rates despite the continued rise in temperatures. So, this one study covers both aspects that I find really important. One, increasing temperatures lead to more suicides, period. Yet another study that shows that. But also, We have the ability to intervene and mitigate these effects on our health.
0: Following on from your comment about interventions being effective, the authors also touched on a few uh, points in terms of where the research connecting climate drivers and mental health outcomes needs to move going forwards the first of which was the call to arms for studies that address public mental health interventions for climate change so they suggested that we need population level approaches for this in order to understand public policy response so looking at you know how increased or decreased funding for mental health services and how this might affect mental health outcomes post disasters or climate events surveillance and monitoring after events community um, based preparation and response efforts and mental health training for healthcare providers and first responders as well. And finally, they also touched on the need for more research to understand the unequal impacts of climate change on the mental health of vulnerable and marginalized groups. Um, This will help our response and planning efforts to support these groups and populations. And also um, more studies, as you talked about earlier in today's podcast, uh, required in middle and lower income countries, as well as most of the the bodies of evidence or the population level uh, and large data set evidence is from high income countries at present.
1: Thank you all for listening. We will certainly continue to cover this topic because it's so impactful and widespread, as we know from the study we talked about today. It's increasing among our youth, our future. And so we need to understand it. And we need to take action now to mitigate this damage. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you all for listening
0: and we'll see you next time for the next episode of Be The Expert.